Welcome to Empowered by Women for Women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired, brought to you by Invintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. This is the second part of our interview with the quite amazing Helga Alul. Just to recap, today's guest started her career in 1968 at the German Brandstatter Group in the company's sales and exports department. This journey has taken my guest on an amazing 44-year adventure and saw her appointed as the CEO of Playmobil Malta, has been a top management member of the Brandstatter Group and acted as chairman of the board of directors of Playmobil USA. Revered and outstanding positions in one of the world's most successful toy companies. Following her retirement, Helga has set up her own consulting company with the aim to use her business experience to help other companies in their strategy, governance and success. Miss Alul received the Officer's Cross of Order of Merit on behalf of the German president by the German ambassador Bernard Braun in 2011. And this amazing lady has not only been an inspiration because of her achievements, but because of a bright, enthusiastic and formidable example of what a woman can truly achieve. And on top of this, Helga has managed to fit in being a mother and now a grandmother. Welcome again, Helga, for the second time. This is amazing. Welcome. (laughs) It's so cool to have you again on Empowered. And in the first part of this interview, we talked for almost an hour and only covered your remarkable career, a story which I've shared the details of ever since, of you boldly correcting your boss's dictation, of you driving to Malta from Germany in your brightly coloured VW Beetle and other stories. So just to bring this right up to speed, now that we've covered your career, what do you do now? on a daily basis? Okay, now obviously I uh, cut down quite a bit. So as I said, I have a small consultancy, so I'm on the board of some companies. I mainly choose, first and foremost, I choose my companies wisely. So they have to be ethical and good business people. I would not work with anybody. And uh, I choose family companies because I think, especially in Malta, where a lot of the medium-sized companies are actually family businesses, they still have sort of difficulties sometimes to, let's say, put the emotional part and the business part apart from each other. So to teach them that business is business, think of business, don't think of faces of family, then that comes too. I mean, if you can try and combine to get your talent in the family into the business, Obviously, it's, it's perfect, but don't impose it. They have to feel that they want to be in the business and they have to be good because, I mean, otherwise you will harm your business and you will harm the individuals in your family. So it is very much because, obviously, Playmobil was a family company, so I experienced that with Mr. Brunschler's two sons, who then one had his own company, a software company, totally different, The other uh, son was in the business, but then set up a property company. So they actually didn't stay with the toy company. And that is as well a message which you have to sometimes say, see what your children really want to do. If they want to do the business and they are enthusiastic, yes, 
and if they are good at it, but don't in both. They have to feel they could be an investor and just keep investing in the business and shareholder, but they don't have to actually start managing it. So this is something I, I like and I do. I have as well some small clients who come for individual advice, some women as well who are in uh, positions of um, running a company, running an NGO, and then come to me more, how can I start delegating more and not get so born into the daily daily because that is as well a problem a lot of people face and I know it is not an easy one when you run a company that you get very buckled in in the day-to-day -day and then you you miss the great boat so you have to really start saying where can I delegate where can I trust and put it forward that I have time to think of the next steps because I have to use my knowledge in bringing the business forward. But that is sometimes not easy. It's easier said than done, and I know. So I have this um, small as well consultancies. And then obviously I give a lot, I do philanthropic because I have, I'm the president of Core Platform, which uh, is something very close to my heart. I, we set it up in end of 2015 under Mary Louise Colero as, as the president at that time, which regards corporate social responsibility and the sustainability. At that time, still very much a bit of a buzzword and nobody really believed in it. I believed very strongly because it's something I always did in the company and I know how much it pays business to do it. But I think today, actually, it's uh, much more relevant because now it's not any more of doing something which might be nice. I think it's now something you must do as a business because otherwise you won't survive. I mean, it's now a demand from your customers, from your employees. I mean, if you don't embrace corporate social responsibility, good government, empowerment, uh, looking after your environment, looking what your customers need, your product, where it can be sustainable. If you don't embrace that, you won't have a business long term. So this is something I still love very much, and I have been doing it. Um, and in fact, it is the founder members are all the business institutions in Malta, like the Malta Chamber, Malta Employers, the sm um, Chamber of the Small um, and Medium-Sized Companies, uh, the Malta Business Bureau, the Hotel and Restaurants, all the business organizations. But then we have as well civil society, and that is represented by SOS Malta to see as well how to civil society, how can business work closer with NGOs, which are down at the grassroots, which know what's happening, where business can engage as well, not just, and I mean, this is where the problem sometimes comes, not just giving money, that is charity, it's nice to do, but getting involved in the projects, these NGOs are do doing at grassroots, helping them maybe with your experience, with your expertise in uh, marketing or in accounting, that's what they need because they are very much based on voluntary. So they need sometimes a bit sort of this solid business experience behind. And I think you as business, if you get involved in good projects, which are <clears throat> maybe aligned as well to your company philosophy, like, I mean, at Playmobil, we did, uh, we did it obviously towards children because our customers were children. So we got very involved in with Inspire, with other things, where we always uh, um, did projects more on project base, like a center room or whatever. But uh, let's say you are a pharmaceutical company, you're making a business out of medicine, get involved 
in the areas of research or what people need in this field, hospice doing a brilliant job. So there is so much going on. And I think we have a very a very good driving uh, NGO, voluntary organization sector, sometimes a bit too many, and some of them are not maybe long-term sustainable because they are not very solid built. That's where businesses can come in and can help them. Helga, I love the fact that I've asked you one tiny question and you are full of... go. There you go, she flies. <laughs> because you're full of passion. But I have to just ask you, Helga, you had a very long career. You had a very successful career. Did you not, when you retired from Playmobil and all the positions that you held there, did you not think to yourself, wow... I'll take it a bit easy because you're not taking it easy. Did you not think to yourself, I'll relax for a while, you know, and do what, what I, I don't want to say retired because I can't imagine that you ever would be. But did you not think that it would kind of time to just. I did. I mean, I, I thought if you're know, taking it a bit easier, playing a bit more golf, trying to do painting, but I was still too much into the business sense. So I couldn't really let go. So uh, I think now slowly I'm coming more. I have, thanks God, I have a granddaughter. I have, we have, I have four grandchildren, but my granddaughter, who is eight, uh, it actually uh, loves painting, is quite, quite good at it. I love painting. So I said, now we're buying a small easel, a large easel, and I love to paint with her. So I will try now to do a bit the things which I always wanted to do and couldn't really yet decide to let go but I think now I'm definitely slowly coming to that <laughs> well you just mentioned your, your granddaughter you mentioned your family and this is one part of the story that has completely fascinated me you when we spoke last time you spoke about not just your career and your commitment but every other thing that you did around that role as well and for Malta and for business and you're still doing that but you also have a family. So how did you find the balance between work and family? Not an easy one, but uh, <clears throat> let me put it like that. For me, from a very beginning when I met my husband, even before we got married, I said, I want children. That was a must. So did he. Obviously, when you then get pregnant, when you know you, you're going to have a child, it's something you can't plan. You don't know. So, uh, and yet for me, it was very clear that if I have a child and if the child would need me to take off my business and my career, I would do that. That comes first. But if I could do both, I would love to do both because I want as well to be a, a happy mother and I can only be a happy mother if I'm happy in what I'm doing. So thanks God I could do that and I had my two children. I must say at the time as well, Trudy, it was still much easier in Malta because you could get a lot of help. So I had a very good housekeeper from the village. She was more or less like the granny for my for my kids. You know, she was part of our family. I still today have a very good housekeeper who has been with the family for over 30 years, part of the family, part of my children, my grandchildren. So you could still build these relationships, which I think is getting much more difficult, what I'm hearing from my children, to find this type of people. But way back we had that, that uh, people love to be employed with a family, and be part of that family. So I was very lucky in that respect. Then as well, I was very lucky that I had a husband who obviously had his own business and was quite flexible then, though he was a big support with the children. So, I mean, 
literally running and taking them to uh, table tennis lessons or to tennis lessons, football. He was the one who would help out there. And I think, in a way, that really helped our children as well to grow up in a very different way. For them, it was never very defined roles. Mummy does that and daddy does that. We are parents. Who, one of us was always there. But whatever needed, either my husband would do it or I would do it. So there were not defined roles uh, in the family. We were just parents and we did it together as a team. So uh, I think my children learned that very, very early. And I think they learned as well to be quite responsible and mature because they saw us both working. So even, let's say, the, the works at home were very e early divided. So they had to look after their room. They had to do their course because we had to do ours. I mean, like, I mean, I always say this story, but I, and my, my, my son laughs today when he came home from, I think it was when he was four year old and he just started school or whatever. He came home and said, I want pocket money. I said, uh, you have to give me pocket money. I said, who gives me money? I go out, you know, I go out every morning and I go to work. So let's try and make see what you can earn your money. So we have a big, we had a big board for both of the children where it was 10 cents for making your bed, 10 cents for cleaning the plates, and they had to earn their money. And it was good. I think it helped them to see the value of money and to realize that we went out to work as well to get money to to uh, be able to afford certain things. And very often, I mean, I ask my children, because as a woman, you have this, or I had it especially at that time more than ever, because women didn't work. And then you saw the other uh, women who were at home who knew every detail about the teacher and the, 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 all the other pupils and all. And I didn't know all these details, to be honest, because I don't think it was that important for me. So, you know, I felt um, a bit guilty. Do I do the right thing? I grew up very conservative. I had a mother who was always at home and I could bring my friends home and mummy was the type of mummy and I wasn't. So did I do the right thing, the wrong thing? And I, we discussed it at quite early with the children to, to see how they felt and they never really felt bad about it. We, we never went on a holiday on our own. I mean, till they were 18, 20, we always went as a family together. Because it was the one time we could be all together and enjoy things together, where we, during the week or whatever, didn't have as, as much time. But our holiday was together. My husband would never go without the children. So we never had a holiday on our own. <laughs> but you <laughs> but mentioned there, you talked about the fact that most of the women at the time, and we're talking about, you know, a number of years ago, most of the women at the time didn't work. And even today, Malta has been described as still a patriarchal society. So they're very much about the man. When you were having this kind of, I suppose, revolutionary kind of home upbringing, which obviously was, was very healthy, you had that relationship with both your husband, your children, your housekeeper, and that environment was very healthy. But were there instances where women or families or mothers of, of the children's friends were quite resistant? Did, they, did you ever get that feeling that people thought you were just a little bit unusual and not quite right? Yes, I think I was quite a bit strange to them as well because, <laughs> um, no, 
I mean, in, obviously, I was, you know, they were not used to somebody like me. And it was as well, I mean, that where we live in Tampoltetarcha down there, there was quite a nice neighborhood. And in fact, you know how it is. I mean, today I see it where I have more time. Women go shopping every day. They meet up. They, I didn't have that. I went in the morning to work. I came home at night. So I didn't have even this sort of connection or network with women. So I said to my husband, I said, I mean, I need to know and get to know the, 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 the neighborhood. I need to get to know the people. So I remember way back we made a party where we invited our neighborhood, a summer party, where I said, I need to know. And these women came, and I mean, I cooked and did uh, sort of the salads and whatever, and they said, you know how to cook? I said, of course, I mean, I cook. You know, I mean, nobody cooks for me. I cook every evening. You know, they, they had as well this perception of me of so far removed. And then, I mean, obviously, then I got to know them and we got to know each other. Then the children came home. They had a, 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 a small playroom across our road where they all met the whole neighborhood with kids. So they got to know me and they knew then that there is another side of me, you know. So, but you need to make a bit of an effort. I had to make this extra effort to get to know them and for them to get to know me, you know, which uh, didn't come sort of the normal way. You would normally in a village shopping or whatever or in a coffee place, you know. So uh, that I did and... I think as well what was very, very important for me was that, um, I think I mentioned that as well, I'm very much a disciplined person and I think because of time management and all, I had to because I had so much on my plate. So I made it very, very, very clear decision and I still do it till today that I work from Monday morning till Friday evening but don't ask me for Saturday or Sunday. That's family time. And still today, it's family time. I might look at my emails. If it's something very important, I might answer. But most of the time, you won't get an answer. And my friends know it. Don't ask Saturday and Sunday to get me. But, but isn't this one of the things that we are all suffering from at the moment as we've moved into the age that we're in now? Uh, we carry our mobiles in our pockets, and we are accessible all of the time. So therefore, it's incredibly hard to switch off. I go out to restaurants, I have an agreement with my partner that there's no phone on the table. You do not go out with family or friends or even with each other and have the phone on the table. And I will try to make sure that when I walk the dog, I don't take the phone with me. If I go running, I don't take the phone with me because we are so accessible. Do you ever still find, you have this discipline, but you do you find that yourself or or even your family around you, you talk about weekends being family time. Does it still creep in? Is it still? Yes, it is. And in fact, I, I get sometimes, I'm very disciplined and I will not have my phone when we go out to eat or whatever, because then I say, I see a missed call and half an hour later or an hour later, I can phone up. I said, I missed a call. I was out. What is it? I mean, the world doesn't break down because you didn't answer it straight away. So see it as well um, with my children, obviously. I mean, like my son always on the phone. My husband as well. I mean, he will go with his phone everywhere. And in fact, people laugh because I said, if you can't get me, there is my secretary for my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so he's always on the phone. <laughs> what does he think of that? <laughs> because I do not like that. I mean, I don't even, I'm not even a person who likes a lot of phone conversation. Do me some writing or whatever, or maybe on a WhatsApp. I'm not very this all the time on the phone or talking or whatever. I don't like it. Face to face, yes. That I enjoy, that I get out. I need the body language. In fact, the two years of COVID, I think I suffered a bit not having the social contact. 
No, but I don't like it. I rather than I need my I need my time when I want to read my book. I want to, if anything, I watch a film, a proper film, on Netflix, not just flick to any stations. I'm very much this type of person, but I know it. I mean, even sometimes when we are on a Sunday lunch and I tell them, can you stop with your mobiles? Can we talk? There are the children around us. They want to talk to us, you know. It's coming in too much, I think. And I mean, when you see these pictures of families out and then you already have the two-year-old with the tablet in front in the high chair and you have everybody with a device and nobody talks. They, they sit there for two hours and nobody talks to each other. You know, I think, I think it's shocking. And I think it's what's worrying me because I think we are missing, we are missing out a lot. I completely and utterly, totally agree, Helga. We're going to come back to something you said a minute ago about people perceiving you in your environment in in the this as you as a mum as you as a wife in the and how you tackled that around you. Now, let's talk about the workplace. We're not going to talk about what you did, but we're going to talk about you as a woman in the workplace. And we touched on this last time we spoke, but you do give the impression of being a strong driven, don't mess with me kind of woman. And this could be cultural as well as apparent as well, because us Northern Europeans tend to be a little bit more like that. <laughs> but obviously you are a woman in the workplace. And, and way back when, when you first came to Malta, as we mentioned, the patriarchal society was even stronger than it is now. But through this podcast, we've spoken to a lot of women who've talked about career progression, women in the workplace, creating that balance between being driven and not necessarily being too offensive. Has being that strong ever backfired on you? Has it ever been an issue for you as a in the workplace, whether you're a woman or not? No, I think in a way, as you said, it is a bit culture because I think uh, from the German culture, we are very direct people, very straightforward, I think very honest. And I mean, until you know, it, it can, I mean, sometimes you create almost the impression that you could be a bit rude because you are so direct that people had to get used to it. And I maybe had to mellow down as well a bit to get a bit more used to the Mediterranean way because I mean, my husband always told me, you know, not you can, you shall, you may. You know, I had to learn a bit because we don't, we don't mean it. It's a, it's a culture where you grow up where it is, and the German culture as well is very disciplined. Business is business, private is private. You know, we keep the things very, very separate, which obviously is not the Mediterranean way. In business, there were some instances where I literally, let's say, would have either the employee or one of my managers, and I more or less said what I had to say, and I felt it didn't come across the right way. Then after passing half a day or whatever, I called the person in and I said, listen, let me explain again. Somehow or other, I think we didn't understand each other. I didn't mean that way. And I think you have to as well sometimes realize where you have to say, sorry if I came across wrong. I didn't mean. There's nothing wrong, you know. But I mean, don't let a misunderstanding or when you, when you feel the body language and, you know, you see the person's face fall. And I said, I didn't mean it, you know. Like I had, for example, a very, very good girl and she was a very hardworking manager. And one day as well, I mean, I was very critical maybe, of her, of her performance, but she was so good that <laughs> that's why I was critical because I knew she could, if I sort of correct her, she could get better and better. So I actually meant it good. 
But I knew it was, and I then I called her, and she said, because you always criticize me, I can never do it. I said, I criticize you because I give you so much time because you are so good. By giving you the time and pushing you, it's the best compliment I can give you because you are so valuable. And I know you will get further. But you see, there was a misunderstanding. She thought my criticism was putting her down when I actually more wanted to lift her up and teach her more because she was. I said, look, for me, if I, for example, if you are an employee and I don't give you time, then you should get worried because then you are not worth my time. But if I push a lot on you, that are the people I really feel they have the potential and I want to give them the time. Maybe the way I do it sometimes is a bit harsh and it was maybe a bit harsh. But I think that is when you have the face-to-face and the body language, when you realize something is wrong. And then get straight on and say, listen, something is wrong. I, I didn't understand each other. Do you other. mind me asking, how did she respond to that? And then, yes. I mean, they got used to me as well. And they knew. I mean, even, look, we all have good days, bad days. I had as well some bad days, and I knew I would maybe make a snappy comment, which was maybe not so. But I'm the first one to go and say, sorry, wasn't meant bad day today. <laughs> Ignore. Say it. We all are human. And try and be human. Show it. That you are not perfection. You can't be all the time, 100%. But admit it. And then I think then you have no problem. That, that uh, ability to be able to apologize goes yes. a long way, doesn't it? But I think I felt better too. Because I mean, Let's face it, we all know that sometimes we do things which are not... But is the word, sorry, such a big word to say? I don't think so. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. Listen, you talked about the workplace. We've talked about you, you're starting out and now what you do with mentoring family businesses, but women in business as well. Has the workplace changed that much since you were there? I think so. I think it has changed. I think first and foremost, let's face it, everything is so much faster. Where before we had much more time to learn and to develop. Now, I mean, you have to be professional straight away. You have to be top. A lot of expectations straight away. And I think sometimes too much because don't for, I mean, that is where I have sometimes a bit of problems and where we have maybe as well a different system in Germany where People who, for example, make A-levels to the Abitur in Germany, they would first go out and go into a business and learn something, which they think maybe I would like that, whatever. So they go for a type of internship for one year, one and a half, to see if it's really what they like. And then they go to university. And I think that's sometimes a better way, because we go from straight A-level to university, Unfortunately, as well, our university is not very much a campus university, so it's very much a bit of a high school university. So it's the same system where we don't really, how shall I say, become very independent and our own thoughts and discussions. And then we are going into business and we expect to be professional, right on top. It just doesn't happen that way. There is not enough time to have experiences and learning by more or less doing or being Mendes, whatever. In fact, we have a very good program on core, which is called Astra, uh, where we are mentoring 10 members and 10 young women 
the men, men are not all women. There's one man, I think. <laughs> where they, where we, it's a one-to-one -one mentoring where sometimes these women can do a one-to-one -one thing where they, have, where they feel a problem. For example, some of them say, how do I negotiate properly? Do I have to be tough? Do I have to be sad? You know, these are sort of the small things where I tell them no. Negotiations is not like that. It's a gift. It's a win and win. You have to know what you really, bottom line, want. And then put up a bit and then so you can give, and the other one can give as well. Because everybody has to come out a winner. Don't go hard score. I mean, you can go, you might win once, but you lose at the long end. So these are all the things where they need a bit of this uh, more one-to-one -one advice. And I think that's, that is what it's missing. Because if they are in a company, like I had very good women managers, where you have time to talk to them, that they even can come, how did you manage with your family? And how did you manage with your husband? Sometimes you need this talk as well. Because, I mean, I had two very top uh, uh, women who obviously, when they saw me having children and, and doing the roles, they said, well, if she can do it, we can do it. But one of them had a husband who was maybe not as accommodating or she, well, she had much more problem to have to be at home at time and all that a bit sort of the very conservation the family as well, from the family background to Maltese families, the mothers didn't understand. So she had it much tougher than me. They need to sometimes air that, you know, and they don't have anybody who will listen to that. We, we heard it as well, like, let's say, a politician in parliament. I mean, why does parliament have to be in the evening when they want to be at home with their children or cook a meal? You know, I mean, these are not women-friendly or gender-friendly things, you know. So I think a lot of, but it, it's changing. But I think for a woman to make it in business and to have a family, it's a tough call. Believe me, and if she doesn't have a good partner or good relationship, especially sometimes I admire women when they are single, how they manage, because that is a tough call, definitely. I think you hit the nail right on the head yet again. And Helga, all the way through this interview and the interview that we had, the part one of this interview, you have been really inspirational what you're saying. And I love talking to you. You are an incredible role model just from the things that you've said, not just as a businesswoman, but as also as a wife, having a family and every other area, whether it be in the community or what you're doing now. And I'm thrilled about that. So I'm going to ask you to wrap up this interview by imparting us with a few words of wisdom for other women listening to this podcast, whether they are a parent, a wife, a girlfriend, in business, whether they're working, whether they're thinking of setting up business. But to wrap this up, what would you say? Look, first and foremost, I think you, like I always said, you have only one life. You have to be happy in your life. You have to know your dreams and try and live them and have a life which fulfills you. Because if you are, as a person, solid and fulfilled, you can be a good wife, you can be a good mother, because you are living the life you want. So you, your happiness, your fulfillment will portray to your kids. For me, the worst thing is if a mother is at home and says, because I couldn't go to work, because I had... No, no, nobody told you that. Nobody asks you that. Uh, let's say, for example, if you are in, in, in a relationship with, with your partner, be honest and say what you want, what is important for you, because you have to do it together. He has to know and he has to understand uh, as well and buy into it. And if, it, if he doesn't, then it might not work. So very early, make sure 
that you say what you want and what is important for you. But then at the end of the day, I still have to say, and it, I think it has always been important for me, that if the family needs come, would it be an illness, would it be a, a, a special thing for the children, they come first. Otherwise, don't have a family. My business was important for me, my career, it was my personal fulfillment, but when I decided to have a family, to have a husband and children, I knew that they would be priority always. Helga Alul, thank you so much, and thank you for delivering such an empowering message. Thank you. Thank you for having me.